0: Father, we ask for the lights to come on and for faith to rise and for inspiration and revelation to flood our hearts and our minds so that you can do more stuff in our lives and get more glory out of this church in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted, amen. 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 All right, let's go to the book of John chapter 11, and we're going to continue. Last week, I didn't preach because the presence of God was so strong in this church last week. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father, for that. That, uh, teaching would have been a mistake. And so we just bathed in His presence and then healed the sick and had a great time. I don't, rarely have I been in a church service like last Sunday. Uh, that energy and that power was so God. And, uh, all the ways the pieces connected about God's rain being poured out on our church. And so that rain is now settling into the soil of this church in our lives. And favor is now being spread out upon everyone who calls this church home their home, their spiritual family. There's a, there is a, there is a grace that gets poured out on a people who are shouting out together in unison to God. And God pours out. He says, My eyes go to and fro throughout the whole earth looking to see whose hearts are turned toward me, so I can show myself strong on their behalf. And so you see, we together are coming to God, and He is showing Himself strong on our behalf. And one of the ways His strength is manifested is through favor where doors of opportunity open and things begin happening that, that you have even forgot about and ideas come to your mind that open up new avenues for you and finances pour in and restoration of marriages just happen. This is the favor of God in the earth. There's nothing like it. Yesterday, I just began spontaneously writing a song. I was worshiping God with my guitar, and, and I, just, I just started singing out. There's no one like your favor. There's nothing like your favor. There's no touch like your favor. There's no place like your favor. When God decides to have favor on a church or favor on an individual, favor on a business, I mean, God opens a door nobody can shut, and He shuts doors nobody can open. It is just heaven on earth. And we're beginning to experience some of God's favor on our lives. I remember driving down the road this year and I just I just said, God, I know for the first time, really what the favor of God really feels like. The Bible says it's like the dew on the grass in the morning. That's what it's like. It's indescribable to have the favor of God on your life. And we are beginning to experience it. So I want us to continue in this Revelation about what Jesus really paid for you and I to have when he died on the cross. The inheritance that was left on that cross for you and I to reach into and grab and pull into our lives. There's an abundance for us to have and we are getting so little of it. So the faith level in this house has to increase so that God can do more stuff. It's not about us doing it. It's about God doing it. But he is looking for faith in the earth. And so by my teaching and the Holy Spirit's gift of revelation, faith comes. I was praying with Mark in the car this week. I told you I feel that I've been healed of something. And um I mean like the manifestation seems to be real. But it was I was I was with Mark, I was in Starbucks last week, and I was just saying, hey by the way, you know, I got this thing and, and uh, I'm not going to tell you about it right now, but I got this thing and you know this is when it happened and this is how it started and he said, That's not that's the devil. That and all of a sudden he just got a revelation right there. I mean principally we know the sickness and disease comes from Satan. But he got a Rhema a a revelation an epiphany right there and then and he said we need to pray for that and uh i could tell wow, he's got faith for this you see it was a it was a it was a divine spark and so i was dropping him off at his home and he said let's pray right now and when mark does that you know god's on him because he doesn't do anything that's fake and when faith really strikes him um, he moves with it and and he grabbed my hand and prayed with me And I could tell this brother really has got a measure of faith for this thing right here right now Now we need more of that going on We need more of those divine sparks of faith that move mountains and that's where we are heading We're starting to see it, but we're just in the shallow end of this. So let's move forward. So Today I want to talk about um, Well, we're going to jump into the sermon that i've been trying to preach for the last couple of weeks we're probably going to make it through point one. We'll pick it up next week. But but um, today I want to talk to you about the main motivation of why God still heals today. The title of the message is why does God want you healed? Obviously continued. And um, we need to understand why God wants us healed so that our faith level can match God and God can do what he wants to do. Let's look at John chapter 11 and it says in verse one. Um, well, where are we at in the PowerPoint? What, where did I? Yeah, John we'll starting and John, okay, verse one. And John chapter eleven, verse one. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and sister of Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Jesus' love is the number one and primary motivation for healing the sick today, just like it was when He walked the earth. I mean, that's what point point one's going to be in a few minutes, but I'm just going to go ahead and jump the gun. You know, there are three motivations for Jesus healing the sick. I'll go ahead and give them to you right now. One is His compassion on the sick. That's on your notes. In your bulletin, you have the notes there. The second one is the promotion of His kingdom. and The third one is the proof that He's the Christ. And what theologians have done over the last 1800 years of unbelief, is, and I say that with, with all humility, but I'm saying as a fact, um, we have reduced Jesus's motivation for doing miracles down to proving that he's the Christ. This is true. And they say he proved he was the Christ. And that's why miracles don't happen anymore today, because it was well established. You can look at the book of Acts. You can look at his gospels. You can see very clearly he proved he was the Christ. He rose from the dead. That's all you need is a historical evidence that he's the Christ. Well, they forgot about the love of God. They forgot about the heart of God. They forgot about the fact that Jesus is still weeping over your sickness and disease today. They forgot that our God so loved the world, not just His people, loved the world that He gave the life of His Son. And to somehow reduce God's heart down to some kind of a stoic, intellectual, two-dimensional, theological reality means you, you just don't know God. And I'm going to tell you how you get to know to God the best is when He touches you. This is why when people don't get healed, they feel unloved by God, because anybody with, with with common sense knows that if God's the God of love and he healed that person and but he didn't heal me, they immediately go to the love factor, because that's the main motivation for God to heal or anybody to nurture somebody, to touch somebody, to encourage somebody is compassion. So that's why people feel unloved by God, abandoned by God ...dissed by God when they aren't healed. They immediately go to that place of love. Now, what we know, and I pray that you know, is that's not true. God is so deeply in love with you and wants your sickness and disease removed from your life... ...to restore the dignity of your humanity and bring you back to a sozo, wholeness of healing... That he is pining after your healing. What we are doing is agreeing with him so that heaven can break open into this place. And more of us can experience this love of God that manifests itself in a healing touch. And today I'm going to talk to you about receiving and how to get to that place of receiving. Much of what God wants to do doesn't happen because we have a very difficult time receiving the love of God. Which within that love comes healing, comes deliverance, comes salvation. How many of you know people that God loves and wants to save, and but they are backing away from the salvation, not because they don't want it, but because they don't feel they deserve it or are allowed to have it? Raise your hand. You know people like this that are backpedaling away from the good news of Jesus Christ because they just feel like, you know, I just don't deserve it. We do the same thing with healing. Even if you're not in touch with it cognitively, deep down inside of the shame uh, regions of our soul and our psyche, we really feel that we don't deserve the touch of God. And the truth is, say it with me, we don't. You know that's what I'm going to say, right? We don't deserve the touch of God. Fortunately, that is irrelevant. Deserving the touch of God, not only does it not disqualify you, it actually qualifies you for the touch of God. Not deserving God qualifies you to be touched by God. Feeling you deserve to be healed is what can disqualify you. I know people in your mind, you think, well, the reason that God blessed Pastor John, because he's a pastor. Absolutely not true. Or the reason that God would heal this person is because they're such a good person. Absolutely not true. In fact, when people pray, oh, God, you know how faithful they've been. Oh, God, you know what a good person they've been. And And I'm thinking, so they deserve this? That's a works religion. That's where we go in our human psyche is to the deserving of things. But the whole kingdom of God is free. Jesus said to his disciples, go heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers and say the kingdom of God has come near you freely. You have received freely give. So healing is free. It, it wasn't free for Jesus. It cost him his blood on the cross. It's free for us. Can I hear an amen? amen. I'm trying to break down this, this fear of receiving and ability, so that more healings can happen in our church. So, um, therefore, Jesus sent to him and, uh, and they said, Lord, behold, him, him, he whom you love. It's like Jesus had a reputation of loving Lazarus. He was not some cold calculated rabbi coming just to uh, die on the cross and quote the things he was supposed to quote when he was on the cross because the Old Testament said he was going to do that. This is a human man who feels human pain and suffering and he feels yours today. He's deeply in touch with what you're dealing with. And when Jesus heard that, he said this, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, this is not going to be our main point today. It will be probably next week when we look at Jesus proving who he is by uh, the miracles he did. But I am just shocked at how through unbelief we have ever interpreted that verse right there as somehow God gets glory from sickness. There's nowhere in the Bible where you find that. No scripture says that. It is our unbelief and our fallen nature that reads things into scriptures like this to believe such a thing. And using this very passage to teach that God gets glory out of sick, sickness is just... I can't even find the right word to, to explain how unrighteous that is. How unrighteous. How, how, um, dishonest that is because as you read down through this passage, he very clearly says the glory of God is the resurrection of Lazarus, not the sickness. You'll see that in a moment. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her her sister Mary. Now, I'm not going to read the the whole text, so so um, uh, let's let's move to the next passage. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him She fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him immediately when he saw their sorrow? Jesus was moved. And we can over spiritualize that and say he was in intercession and prayer. I don't think that was going on at all. I think he was feeling the suffering of those around him. He is Jesus. And he's still Jesus. And he still feels today. The Stoics, um, actually, a class of people called the Stoics, they not only minimize, they completely discount. The, 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 uh, the value of emotions. It's all intellect and will. That's what matters. Jesus was, was incredibly emotional. Do you know where you got your emotions from? God. Do you know that healing comes through the emotions? Do you know, I may have told you this before, so forgive me, but there was this uh, friend of mine who was a clinical psychologist and she, uh, for 30 years, She now it's been about 40 years, And she was sitting in a car with a friend and the friend started telling her about how she was put in a closet when she was a kid and how she was abused and how her mother used to have her boyfriends come over and the boyfriends would, would abuse the child. And I mean, just unbelievable story. And she's just telling her story again for the hundredth time, millionth time, just kind of, you know, parodying her story again to another clinical psychologist. And it's kind of like a historical event. And then she looked over and saw my friend, the clinical psychologist gripping the steering wheel, parking the driveway, just Weeping like this, just weeping and just shaking and weeping. And her friend said, Are you okay? What's the matter with you? Not even connecting why she would be weeping. Had become so uh, disconnected from her own story. And most clinical psychologists, of course, would sit there and say, Well, okay, now let's analyze this. You know, not being connected emotionally to the patient, which is one of the rules of thumb, right? You don't want to get emotionally invested. Because then you can't see clearly. Jesus gets emotionally invested. So he can see clearly. People don't know how much you... They don't care how much you know till they know how much you care, right? And she said, that is the worst story I have ever heard. And then the girl starts weeping. And that girl said, that was the most healing Moment and all the counsels she had received over her life was the empathy that came from my friend. That was the heart of God. Emotions are a powerful force. God's love of the world is not a stoic principle love. It was an explosion from God's heart when He saw us suffering and He sent His Son. And that's why they called it the passion of the Christ. So here's our Lord, here's our Jesus, walking into a very physical, earthly, real scenario of his friends and his best friend, one of his best friends, Lazarus, who's died. And he's feeling the sorrow. He says, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Now this right here is our memory verse this week. It won't be hard. It's right here. The shortest verse in the entire Bible is our memory verse this week. Say this with me out loud. Jesus Wept. And you say, now why would that be our memory verse? Because, I mean, we just memorized it. It's easy. Can we have another one? No. That's all you get. And the reason is this memory verses are not just to be memorized, they're to be meditated on. So it becomes revelation, which becomes transformation. The idea is to get that down into your soul so it becomes a part of you. That's what Christian meditation is. Meditating God's Word until it becomes a part of you and you experience the Word. And Jesus wept. I'm telling you, if you meditate on that this week, Jesus wept. Hopefully two things will eventually happen. There'll be First, you will connect to the fact that God is weeping over you. When you sorrow, he sorrows for real. And then hopefully that weeping will transfer from you through you to the next person you meet that is in sorrow. Uh, Our children's director, um, Sissy, she called me up the other day and she said, she said, man, I'm really mad She goes, I'm really upset. I said, why? She said, you remember when you said you went on that 10 day fast and you asked God for his heart and he gave it to you? And you felt everybody's pain around you, the littlest tiny pain or suffering or even just a difficult situation. I would just start weeping. And I said, God, how do you, you can't live like this. And I asked him to take it away. I said, I cannot live with this kind of tenderness in my heart. That's crazy. And he took it away. And she said, I'm feeling what you felt. That time you had that experience, that's what I'm feeling right now. She goes, I can't function. And she says, there's such frustration because we need the power of God in our church to match our level of compassion. And it's so true. Because compassion without power is frustration. When you care deeply about somebody's pain and you can't do anything about it. And you want to reach out your hand and see them healed like Jesus did. And then you know that's available well, that's why we're pining away after it in this church. We want the full compassion of God exploding through our hearts, and we want the full power of God exploding through our hands, don't we? Yes. That's heaven on earth. That's Jesus' ministry. And I said, one thing you do not want to do, sissy, is ask Him to take it away, because He will. And she said, I will not, okay, I will not pray that prayer. And then last week, I'm up here praying for a family, and I saw Sissy, and I looked behind, and she was just weeping in tears right here. And I looked back, and I thought, ah, oh. She still got it. God didn't take it away from her. And I asked her later, I said, What what were you doing? She goes, I could not, I just couldn't stop weeping. Well, that is intercession. That's God praying over somebody's pain. This is Jesus. It's not some stoic theologian pontificating on heaven. He's real. Jesus wept. I want you to meditate on that this week. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. May people see our love, family of God. May they see the love of God bursting forth in our hearts for those around us. Let's keep reading. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench for he's been dead four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? There, there's the definition of the glory of God. Right in the very same text that we began with. You tell me, what was he saying to her? What's the glory of God? Did I not, the resurrection, did I not say, if you would believe, there's the connection. Right. Oh, you are, sister. I was talking about you. I didn't see you. I'm sorry. I thought, oh, Mary, okay. You're, there she is. The weeper. I'm sorry. You haven't prayed that disastrous prayer I prayed, have you? Don't do it. Don't do it. And then you need to start laying hands on other people, and and hopefully that thing can transfer on us. And I mean that. When you get something from God, you become a conduit of the thing that you've received from heaven. He said, did I not tell you that if you would believe, God help this church believe, so that we can see not just our healing, but the end result of our healing, the glory of God. Amen? God doesn't get glory out of sickness. That's a curse. God gets glory out of his healing invading sickness, his life invading death, his prosperity invading poverty, his wisdom invading confusion. He's trying to restore the human condition back to a place of godly dignity by bringing wholeness back into our lives. The invasion of heaven on earth. So they took away the stone. Next verse. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know you always hear me. I pray we come to that place, family of God, that we can have that kind of confidence when we pray to God. That's where he wants us to come to. That's where we're supposed to be living. Father, we know you always hear us. But we said this for the benefit of those standing around us, that they may believe that you sent us. That's what our prayer should be. When he had said this, Jesus called out loud in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. That was a voice of compassion. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the clothes and let him go. Now I'm gonna ask the brother to help me. Mike, we take this basin up here. Bring this basin up, up onto the stage. Today, I believe God wants us to get a revelation on receiving. You can just sit it right down there and you can go and grab a seat. Go give Mike a hand. Isn't that great? What a guy. What a youth pastor. I want us to, I want to, I believe that God, I believe God has been trying to do some stuff in some people's lives. And there's this, there is this, there is this foundation of shame on the inside of our souls that unconsciously resist the goodness of God. We are so in touch with our our brokenness and our badness that when God does want to do something good, I believe sometimes he can't because we resist him. Why is it easier to pray for somebody else's healing than for yours? For you to pray for yourself. Why is it easier to pray for a breakthrough for somebody else rather than yourself? Are they really that much gooder than you are? Probably not. I mean, you could run into somebody who you know has done a really bad thing. Maybe worse than you have. Maybe they murdered somebody. Have you ever murdered somebody? Don't confess that right now. I'm not sure we're ready for that. And yet, they said, do you think God can forgive me? Yes, they can. You preach every sermon you've ever heard me or Billy Graham ever preach, right? And you preach the power of forgiveness and you pray with them. Yes, God will forgive you. And yet you walk around feeling unforgiven because of the sin you committed, which was like you yelled at your kid or something. What is that about? That's about shame. That's about shame. That's about us deciding whether we deserve heaven on earth or not in our own personal lives. The day that you can pray for yourself and receive as freely as you can pray for somebody else is the day you know you've come to emotional health. And so I believe this. God said he's pouring rain out on our church and there's some people that are getting touched. He, uh, he just unleashed, unleashed the floodgates of heaven on us. And I mean that in a very specific way. I don't mean that's just not good preaching. It's real. But I believe this is what's happening with some of us in this church. Here's the individual believer who's already been spiritually raised from the dead. They go to church and they say they love God. They know the Bible. They can quote scripture. They can pray for other people. But God comes along to pour out healing and deliverance and salvation and restoration onto their life. And this is what it's like. They're in worship. They feel nothing. People pray for them, they get nothing. They pray in their own personal life, and nothing goes into them. And they don't know why they're not getting manifestations. He tries to pour out salvation, don't get saved. Lay hands on them to be healed, they're not healed. Go for emotional healing, don't receive the emotional healing they need. And I believe it's because of the inability to believe that God is deeply in love with you. And I believe that what God wants to do this morning is to ask you to please take the block off of your spirit and your emotions and your mind and just let Him love you. And I believe it's a perfect picture of Lazarus who got raised from the dead. But do you notice that Jesus said, take the grave clothes off of him? In other words, he was still mummified. That's a little awkward. You get raised from the dead. And so now you're standing there wrapped in 100 pounds of spices and, and, and strips of cloth. And you're like this. And you come hopping out of the tomb like this. And Jesus said, well, somebody please take the grave clothes off, Lazarus. You know, he's probably in there trying to praise God. And I believe that is a perfect picture of many believers. We've been raised from the dead spiritually, but we come to church like this, bound up with addictions to alcohol, drugs, pornography. And there's very little water left. For the move of God in this church. I need more water. Somebody go get me more water. Please help me. Where's the water? There. Look at that. God always provides a ram in the bush. Yeah, I think we need more, right? Because how much of God's water do we want in this church? Huh? How much water do we want? Look at that. Oh, look. Oh, he's... Oh, look at this. How much water do we want in this church? Alright, come on, Tom. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, let's get Cormerle and want some in there. Alright. I like this. This is a good word picture. Beautiful. So. Yeah, yeah. That's what, this is what God wants to do. He says pour out so much on you have not room enough to receive it. Right? Isn't that what he said? And we're like, isn't that a nice little verse? And nobody ever experiences it. I'm going to tell you, one time I was preaching and the Lord spoke to me while I was teaching. And he said, I'm, your harvest is coming in. And if you don't get the corrosion, if you don't get the shame off you, if you don't get uh, your faith out there to receive, you're going to miss it. I said, what? I went home and I said, what were you saying to me when I was trying to preach faith to people? And he said, your harvest has come in and you're going to miss it if you don't receive it. And I said, don't you know that I'm a a faith preacher? Didn't you hear my sermon? But, But God knew that deep inside of John, there was shame. There was corrosion on my cables. So I started meditating scriptures about God's goodness. For me. For me. John. And then the revelation started breaking through that God takes pleasure in the prosperity of, not His servant, John. That by Jesus' stripes, John was healed. That without faith, it's impossible for John to please God. And I started meditating these scriptures until they started carving away the unbelief I didn't even know was in me. The shame, the inability to receive... And within 30 days, I owned my own home here in San Diego when I had no money in the bank and no loan officer would, in the rightful mind, loan me any money. And and, and, and the mortgage broker went through three uh, uh, sources to get me a loan. And she said, I only have three underwriters. And the first two said no. And I preached to her every time she called me back. They said no. And I said, well, you know what? God said he's going to give me a house. And she said, Okay. So she calls the second underwriter. She said, they said, no, you really don't qualify. Well, God told me he was going to give me a house. OK, she called the third person. They gave it to me. And the te- and it so blew her away that she asked me to go out to lunch with her and, and uh, another person in the office. I have to cover myself there. And and she got saved because she was so blown away at how God moved and what happened in my life. And then by the end of the year, I was married. And then a ministry door opened up that gave me an opportunity to bear more fruit. All that happened because God said, your harvest is coming in. But he said, you will miss it if you don't learn how to receive. And so this is what I want the gathering place to look like. This is what I want you to look like. Most importantly, this is what God wants you to be like. A vessel that will just let him love you. And when you get filled up with healing and salvation and restoration, and you let God love you, then you have something for other people to get. Because it's pouring out over your life, and now you can give it away. Freely you have received. Freely give. This is great. There's water everywhere. I love it. God's raining on us, and we need to receive it. Let's open our hands right now to God. And let's ask our Jesus, who's weeping right in this moment over your pain, to come. Just This is the phrase God gave me to say, and it it helped me. God, I I let you love me. I'm going to let you love me. Just say that to the Lord. Just open yourself up and say, God, rain on me. Touch me. I'm going to receive everything you have for me. God, we ask you break through the shame in this church. Break through every individual's unbelief and fear, guilt and shame. So that you can begin pouring into us your deliverance from heaven. Your healing, restoration, and salvation into this place. In this church, God, we let you love us. Now, God, we ask that you would pour out in our hearts the weeping of Jesus. Pour out the compassion of the Son of God into this church and into our hearts. This is going to be a strange prayer for some, but it's very important. Lord, help us and teach us to weep over our own brokenness so we can enter into your weeping so that your healing balm can flow through us. Help those in this church, God, who, who are pretending like they don't have brokenness, get honest so that your weeping, your healing tears can drop and drip into their broken areas and bring healing. Now, God, let the healing break free. In this church, we pray. Okay, now I'm going to ask you this Will you come down for healing now? If you.